Good morning, Christchurch. My name is Cassandra, and I work with Reclaim 13, one of Christchurch's ministry partners working with children who have been sexually abused and trafficked. When children have been exploited by adults, they oftentimes come to believe the lie that adults really don't love them. But through the generous support of Christchurch, through many of you who volunteer and work with us at Reclaim 13, children begin to heal. And more importantly, they begin to believe in the God who loves them and the Savior who died for them so that they could have eternal life. 
and the one who truly has hope that they can be free from exploitation. So thank you for all you do. God bless you and good morning. Well, good morning indeed and welcome to worship. It's so good to see Cassandra's face and to hear about what Reclaim 13 is doing in our community. She is a wonderful leader and an amazing woman. And if you are not familiar with Reclaim 13, I would encourage you to just learn a little bit more about that organization. Well, again, welcome to worship. If you are joining us online, we are so glad you are here, especially if you are new. Thank you for joining us this morning. And for those of you who are in the room with us, we just want to thank you for helping us to figure out how to welcome the rest of our community back safely and welcome in a welcoming way as we refine our procedures and our policies as we move forward to our reopening for all of us on September 13th at Bowl both of our campuses. So we'll be sharing more details about what that looks like in the days to come. You can check out our weekly update if you are subscribed to that, as well as we will be having a town hall meeting on September 2nd that we would encourage you to join us at as well. Of course, you can find all of the details on our moving forward page of our website that is on our screen and I'm sure our online uh, Hosts will put that in the chat as well so you can check out more, but we hope that you will um, learn more about that and consider joining us on September 13th. Well, friends, it is good to be together in worship this morning, so let us invite the presence of our Lord into our living rooms, into this sanctuary, or maybe our vacation spots, wherever we are this morning. Let us welcome the Lord. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Come, let us worship the Lord.
join me in prayer as we trust in the mercy and grace of God as we confess our sins together. God, blessed is your name. Blessed is you, our maker, who calls us to be new people. Blessed are you, our redeemer, who claims us in your grace. Blessed are you, our life-giving breath, who fills us with love and sends us out to do your good work. We gather together this morning looking to you, our one true God, whose steadfast love is everlasting, whose faithfulness endures from generation to generation. Almighty Father, your love for humankind is present in the beginning of all things, and it extends throughout history. It even touches us, touches us personally in our very lives today. Your love sees failings and forgives. Your love feels pain and wipes away tears. Your love knows grief and comforts the sorrowful. Your love sees sin and still loves those who sin against you. And so, Father, we ask that you forgive us when we fail to live lives that reflect your love. Forgive us the many times when we take for granted all that you have done for us. Forgive us when we are unjustly angry or selfish. Forgive us in our arrogance and our pride. Forgive us in our apathy and our self-righteousness. Eternal God, creator of all things, we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you transform us. Give us the courage to examine our motives, to soften our hearts, and empower us to love and serve others even as we ask for your forgiveness in this moment. And even that by your grace, Lord, as you welcome us back into your loving embrace. Father, we trust you to hear our prayers and we ask these things through your son, Jesus, who died, that we might know the true cost of forgiveness. Amen. Beloved, hear the good news of the gospel. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love that he had for each and every one of us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. In the blood of Christ, by God's grace, we are saved and we are forgiven. So we can go forward today, go forward today humbly and boldly receiving God's love and forgiveness and walking in the truth of his grace. Amen.
Amen. Will you bow your heads in a word of prayer with me? Good and gracious God, we are so grateful to lift up our hearts and our voices to you this morning, to gather as a body of broken and flawed yet forgiven people who seek to know you and to love you with all that we do and with all that we are. Father, your spirit is among us this morning. We welcome you here. Father, we also need you today. Our world needs you today. We have created divisions that are not of you. We have a hard time even talking to one another without anger or judgment in certain areas. And so in places of conflict, Lord, in our families, in our schools, in our cities, in our nation, in our world, Lord, I ask you to raise up children and parents and teachers and business leaders and pastors and counselors and college graduates who listen and love and work for the good of others. We ask that you encourage organizations like Reclaim 13 and leaders like Cassandra who care for the marginalized. And we give thanks for the youth and the volunteers of this very church who this weekend spread your love, Lord, by serving others across our suburbs. May we all be this lasting example of your love. Lord, we confess that we are weary and tired of a million different things. So we cry out to you this morning. We cry out to you alone to be our sustainer, to be our rock, to be our refuge in times of trouble. Lord, lift up our arms and give us strength and courage for the journey ahead. Protect and defend those who are abused. Heal those who are sick. Feed those who are hungry. Provide jobs for those who need them. Comfort those who are grieving. Give wisdom to those making challenging decisions in the midst of a pandemic. And give us, Lord, renewed energy for all of us who just need to make it through another day. Father, stamp out violence in our city. Empower voices that go unheard. Protect and provide for those who are fighting hurricanes and forest fires and floods, as well as those who protect and care for them. Continue to sustain our medical professionals, Lord, our police officers, our local officials who are trying their best to protect and serve. Father God, for each and every one of us, whatever situation we may be facing this very day, Remind us that we are never alone. Your rod and your staff, they guide us and they comfort us. There is no situation that is too big for you to overcome. There is no darkness where your light cannot shine. And so draw us close to you. Bring us together as your church as we humbly lift one another up and help us to be beacons of your light and your mercy and your grace and your love so more people could experience the power of your saving grace and your eternal mercy. Lord, we ask these things. 
Father, now we together with one voice pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, before we receive our tithes and our offerings this morning, I just wanted to remind you of one thing that will be happening this week. We have our last Worship Wednesday happening at both of our locations, at our Butterfield campus and here at our Oak Brook campus. Uh, this Wednesday at 6.45, it will be our last Worship Wednesday that we will be experiencing this summer, so we would invite you to come out for that. Our Butterfield location has food trucks, and so you feel free to come out a little bit early and enjoy dinner together. Um, and this uh, Wednesday here, our classic worship team and some of these amazing musicians will be leading us. And so whatever location you choose, it will be a great experience and a great way to finish off our summer together. You can find out more by looking at that link on your screen and going to our website. Well, as we continue our worship by receiving our tithes and our offerings this morning, I would like us to think for just a moment about what it means to consider giving as an act of worship. We so often think of using our voices to worship or prayer to worship or listening to the musicians, but do we think about giving as an act of worship? Throughout the Bible, there are examples of this. Even for those of you who may not be familiar with the scripture, you probably know the story of the wise men bringing their gifts to baby Jesus. Or perhaps you have heard of the woman named Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume as a way to worship him. Or maybe you have heard stories of the early church of how they pulled together their resources and gave above and beyond their means as a way to worship God. It's the kind of giving that we do, not because we're obligated to or because we expect to get something in return. It's the kind of giving we do out of joy and celebration and gratitude and sacrifice because we believe that when we do, not only does it help other people, but it actually brings glory to God and shows people how good and gracious our Father is. And so this morning, we are going to continue our worship by giving. We are going to receive our tithes and our offerings, and you can do that by giving online. You can follow the link on the screen. You can text to give. You are welcome to, uh, for those of you in the room, drop your offerings on your way out, or anyone can um, use the drop boxes at either of our locations anytime during the week. But we appreciate your gifts, and thank you for making this church do what we do, as well as bringing glory to God through your worship of giving. So now let us receive our tithes and our offerings this morning. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still Sorry. 
with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other And here in our sanctuary, as I get a little attendance to my microphone there, hope you can hear me a little bit better. My name is Rick Lyman. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Christ Church. And it's my privilege today to share with you in God's holy word. The word of God is powerful. It's living. It's active. It changes us. It strengthens us. It enlivens us. And as I prayed about what to share about on this particular weekend here at Christ Church, the Holy Spirit led me to a passage of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is preparing his first disciples for the mission that was before them. A little bit of context, what I'm about to read in Matthew 16, Jesus and his disciples were riding on a high crest at this moment. Jesus' popularity had grown significantly. He had crowds following him. The disciples were just enamored with his popularity. Things were really going very, very well for them. And this, just, this passage I'm about to read immediately follows when Peter in the hubris and pride of his heart, began to advise Jesus on a few matters. He saw himself somehow as Jesus' chief of staff. He's been designated as the rock upon uh, which Jesus is going to build, and he tells Jesus something he shouldn't do. So Jesus takes a moment to re-clarify for him and those current disciples then and for us what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Precious Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and brought us the truth and demonstrated the very heart of God. And you also showed us that you modeled before us a life for all of us to seek to live into. Help us as we hear your words today to heed them, to see ways in which we can apply them to our lives so that you might be glorified and your kingdom purposes might be fully realized on earth here in our time. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Warren Wearsby in his commentary on the New Testament sometime back recounts how in the early 1900s, a London newspaper carried this advertisement. It said this, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. The ad was signed by none other than the famous Arctic explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton, and it brought inquiries from thousands of men in London in that day. Wiersbe goes on to say, if Jesus had advertised for workers in that time or in our time, the announcement might read something like this. Men and women wanted for a difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You will not see the results of your work likely, and your full reward will not come until all your work is done. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. Wow, how many of us would sign up for that deal, would respond to that ad for an opportunity to serve Jesus? But friends, we are living in a time right now in this time of great confusion, disruption, fear, anxiety on all sides, negativity, and really just sheer frustration. It seems like we're being assailed on all sides from an invisible virus that cannot be kept under control, it seems. We're facing racial and social injustices that seem rampant and out of control. Ideologies are clashing right before our eyes in a way that I've never seen it before. There's economic upheaval abounding in varied ways. Our schools are closing. We're coming into a fall season, and schools are closing or modifying how we do that education of our young people. And what we used to call normal is nowhere in sight. Well, that's the bad news. We're pretty aware of that. It feels pretty bad right now. It seems like the mess that we're in right now will never get solved. But there is some really good news, friends. And we are all here now at this exact time in human history by God's providence. He has placed us in this time for such a time as this. You and I being here now are no accident whatsoever. In fact, we were born into God's eternal family by God's will now at this point in time. He chose you and brought you into existence for a very high and holy purpose to carry forward his mission, even in such times as we're in right now. You and I are the plan that God has to reach this world. He does not have a backup plan. He's not going to suddenly say, well, I'm tired of these humans. They're not getting it done, so let's send in the angels. 
The fact is, Jesus modeled this when he was on earth. He trained a group of disciples, first 12, then another 72. And by Pentecost, when the church was born and sent out on their official mission, there was 120 people, this small band of believers. But the friends, now is our time to shine. In that first century, those small band of believers were given what seemed probably to them to be a very difficult or impossible task. It might seem kind of impossible for us to make a big dent in what's going on in our world today. But friends, we still, in Jesus' economy, are the light of this world. We are the only light that this world will have to turn to when they are confused, when they're feeling like they don't know which way to go. Jesus said it this way in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. This, my friends, is our time to stand up, to stand out, and to rise above the din of disaster and to shine the only true light that can save humanity, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It is incumbent upon each of us and all of us to preserve the faith that's been given to us, to protect it from heresy, and to proclaim it boldly and widely, even in times just like we're in now. Our country and our world desperately need some good news amidst this madness. And friends, we know the God news that can save everyone and that the world needs to desperately hear. Some of you might say to me, are, are, you, are you serious? What can I do to possibly make a difference? This, this sounds like an impossible task to put before us. Well, friends, those first century disciples we referenced a moment ago, they were listening to Jesus say the words I read, they were being given a job to go out into an incredibly hostile environment. They were going out into a world that knew nothing about Jesus, knew nothing about the Bible, actually. They, there were no Bibles. There were no Christian traditions. They didn't know what Christmas was or Easter, and they knew nothing that we take for granted in knowing. It was actually a pre-Christian world that Jesus sent his first disciples out with this seemingly impossible task to tell everybody who Jesus was and make sure every person on earth heard it. That was the Great Commission. Friends, that great commission, that order of Jesus, is an order in force to this day until that job is fully done. Jesus is sending us, however, into a post-Christian world in our country today and in our Western world. We have a different kind of challenge today than the first disciples had, but remember, there was only 120 of them. Today on earth, there's roughly 2 billion people who identify Christ as their Savior now that small band that went out in the first century, they succeeded fabulously in accomplishing the mission in their generation. Friends, but my question for us today is how focused and committed to the Great Commission are Christ followers in our time? I read recently of a pastor who led his church to do what he believed Christ calls all Christians to do, to reach out to all people, including those who are different socially, racially, ethnically, and economically with the gospel. Some of these converts started to attend his church. 
But then some of the influential members of that church really didn't like that. They began to concern because different people were coming into their church. So the pastor said, hey, the great commission of Jesus says that we're to go out and love and make disciples of all people. This is our mission. This is our responsibility. The pastor then received so much opposition to the whole idea of reaching out to all people that he put the great commission to a vote in his church. He said, okay, let's just vote on this whole thing. Now, that sounds ridiculous to us, doesn't it? I mean, why would we have a vote like that? It's God's word. It's Jesus' words to us. The reality was in that church, they voted against the Great Commission. They wanted nothing to do with it. They wanted to have church their way, do things their way, and go on in their way that they thought was better for them. And that seems crazy, doesn't it? But it seems to me that the startling truth is that there's many churches and Christ followers in our day who've also already voted against the Great Commission by not living it, by apathy about doing what Jesus has commanded, a nonchalant attitude towards the things that God is calling us to do or to be. Now, the mission statement of our church is emblazoned right under the bronze in our narthex for all to see into all the world and we see a world map there that is what we're about that is what we want to see jesus use us as a church but my questions for us to ponder today out of this passage are these we believe in the great commission but are we all in with all our best energies seeking to make it happen in our spheres of influence are we at the top of our game spiritually and living as a light of God's truth and love in our areas that we have the ability to bring change. And if we're not firing on all cylinders spiritually, how can we jumpstart our growth and development so that we can be fully prepared to do our very best for Jesus for such a time as this, to be the salt of the earth, to preserve and to restore our society and our culture back to the moral and right and righteous living that the scriptures call us to to rather not blend into the background or fade away in fear, but to stand up and stand out. Well, our passage today, Jesus gives us some really good news. He tells us exactly what we need to do to be prepared to be his representatives. Now, Jesus summed up the entire 613 laws of the Old Testament for us in one simple statement. He said, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus summed up all his teaching on discipleship with one single verse, the one we're considering today. I'll read it again from Matthew 16, 4, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The message translation captures it this way. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. One verse of Scripture with three prerequisites for being prepared to be used of God for his purposes. One single verse which is packed with the greatest challenge, I believe, for every person who reads it and seeks to put it into practice. We might think, oh, just three quick steps. Quick, do these three things like we... They'll lose 30 or 40 pounds. You'll be in instant shape. And they always have a model of somebody who's just ripped all over. Just do this one thing. It's not that simple, my friends. We might think it's easy, but Jesus never said there was anything easy about being his disciple. 
Well, someone thinking it's going to be easy is akin to somebody thinking, I'd, I'd like to go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Stanford or Northwestern or University of Chicago. I don't like studying much, but it'd be really good if I had a degree like from one of those places so I could get a better job. Well, friends, those institutions have tremendously high prerequisites and requirements, and it's a steep climb, and very few meet those requirements to get into institutions like those. But do you realize Jesus' standard for acceptance into his service? to becoming a disciple is actually significantly higher. He's asking for more. The first step, friends, is a gigantic leap for every human on this earth. The very first step Jesus gives us because we're all born with a sinful nature that is exactly the opposite and imposed to what Jesus is telling us we need to do in this passage. It's not a simple task. And that first step is to deny yourself. And I want to clarify what self-denial is not before we go further into this. Self-denial is not self-hatred. The scriptures say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not self-deprecation, putting yourself down, but because putting yourself down does not ever lift anyone else up. It's not self-condemnation because there's therefore now no condemnation, the scripture tells us, in Christ. It's not having low self-esteem because, friends, God is madly in love with you. It's not about low self-image because God already recreated you in the very image of Jesus Christ, his son. You are eminently lovable just as you are today to your heavenly father. And it's definitely not about self-harm. Nothing to do with that. But to put it simply, we must tame the monster within us or we'll never be any good to anyone else. If Jesus commands and expects it, know this, friends, then his spirit is already enabling you to do it. He doesn't expect to do this, us to do things in our human strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in each of us as believers, he can help us do all these things. So what does it mean to be self-denying and deny ourselves? It does mean putting a collar on your sinful nature, your sinful patterns, your habitual sins. It does mean putting a chokehold on all the ugly, wrong thoughts and attitudes and self-centered goals and ambitions so many of us fall into. It does mean making a conscious, daily choice to resist these negative impulses and passions which only result in you being miserable and being of little use to Jesus. It does mean reigning in sinful passions and not let them rule your life anymore. Sin has been aptly defined in this way. It takes you where you don't want to go. It curbs you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. It really means holding back and curbing self-indulgence at every turn. Well, friends, this requires some work on our part. And what I think it requires for us to do what I like to call a sin inventory, an honest self-inventory and assessment privately between you and Jesus to sit down and say, okay, Lord, what is it that I'm leaning into, living into, following that is really not your way? And Lord, help me to deal with those things. To identify your own besetting sins and then trust the Holy Spirit to empower you to turn from those things and turn fully to Jesus. Peter, the apostle, says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. A true disciple of Jesus is one who makes a conscious daily decision 
to restrain those impulses and allow Jesus to be the Lord even of your desires. What does this look like in practice? Well, maybe you're sexually lustful. That's something you don't manage and control well. You're aflame with desires for things that God calls adultery or immorality, or sin in other words. Self-denial means breaking off the adulterous relationship immediately and stop feeding that lust with pornography and seek fulfillment only within the bounds of marriage as God has ordained it to be. Maybe you are one who gives full vent to your anger. Your emotions are out of control and you just blow people away with your words. Self-denial means curbing those selfish, uncaring impulses and learning to express kindness, learning how to use your words to build up others around you. Maybe greed is your issue and you instinctively spend your resources only on your own selfish desires and wanting more things. Self-denial simply means curbing all of that and thinking of the material needs of others who are less fortunate, giving to the poor and the needy. Friends, if we want to enlist in the service of Jesus Christ, we are expected to take this upon ourselves and to exercise self-discipline. Once we've taken that step, Jesus said, here's a second one, to take up your cross. Not his cross. Only one person, Jesus Christ, was called to lay his life down to save the entire world, to pay the sins for the whole world. But we are being asked to take up a cross, which simply means to take on responsibilities that we would not necessarily choose for ourselves, but rather to take on the responsibilities that God would call us to do for him. In other words, you're in his employ when we call ourselves his disciple, and a, any employee works at the will and whim of their employer, and there's certain tasks that are asked of you. And there's a compensation that goes with that. We understand that. When it comes to Jesus, he says, I'm going to be the ones giving, one giving the orders. Friends, this is a, a biggie, I think. A big step for us spiritually to not just serve Jesus as we feel like or doing a few things or what feels good or comfortable to us, but rather to sit down, honestly, with Jesus, pen and paper in hand, pursue him and seek him and say, Jesus, what are you asking me to do? What are you actually asking me to do with my life, with my time, my talents, and my treasures? And then wait for the answer. Look through the scriptures. He was very clear with his disciples what they were to do. And he'll be just that clear for us. Thoreau put it this way, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. Sometime back, a famous Japanese statesman of World War II generation once was describing the loyalty of the Japanese people to their emperor. He said, we don't worship our emperor, we love him completely. A Japanese commander at Port Arthur called for volunteers on one occasion to cut barbed wire entanglements, which were posing an obstacle to the advancement of the Japanese army in that place. The commander said these words, you will never come back nor can you carry a gun. You'll take your place and cut one or two wires and then fall dead. Another will take your place and cut one or two more wires. But you will know that upon your dead body, the armies of your emperor will march to victory. Total regiments volunteered for these sure death missions in the Japanese army. This statement, the statesman went on to say this, if you Christians loved your God as we Japanese love our emperor, you would have long ago taken the world for him. Missionary Jim Elliott put it this way, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Once we've made these two huge leaps forward as we're seeking to serve Jesus fully, then there's this third step. Two simple words. Follow me. This is about doing God's will in God's way. Not just going along once in a while, but actually giving the keys of our life to Jesus. Let him take the helm of our life. Not just do it once in a while, but to become in the practice of trusting him at the wheel of our lives. C.S. Lewis captures this so well in this invitation. He says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. Friends, these are tall orders. It's a really hard thing for us to yield control to anybody, including Jesus. This is not a simple thing. We like being controlled because we feel somehow safer when we're holding on and controlling things. But who better to take the helm, to take the steering wheel of your life than Jesus Christ, who will always drive you right down the middle of God's pure, good, and perfect plan for your life. It means letting him guide you with real-time directions like a GPS in your car, which guide us. We're so dependent on those. Maps are a thing of the past now. We simply put it into the nav or put it into our phone and we get turn-by-turn directions. And why do we follow them? Because we want to get to the destination in the shortest possible time. Having Jesus at the wheel of our lives on a regular basis will actually get us to the destination in the shortest, simplest amount of time. What Jesus wants and fully deserves as the King of Kings is to be in the driver's seat with his hand on the steering wheel of our lives. When we yield everything to him in that way, we are truly following him, and everything begins to change. But until we hand those keys over to him, we'll only be spinning our wheels and accomplishing very little. Friends, as we move to a close here, I want to share one quote from King Duncan, Pastor King Duncan, where he captures this this essence of what we're talking about so very well. He says these words, when you take up Jesus' cross, you are taking up his heart. His heart, his priorities, his values, his love now live in you. And your journey through life becomes a journey to honor his sacrifice and protect his heart. You are taking up the very purpose and driving ambition of Jesus' life to share God's love with the world. That's your cross. And Jesus' challenge to you is simple. Whatever you have to sacrifice, whatever you have to lay down in order to pick up his cross, then do it. Friends, my invitation to all of us today, will we surrender? Will today be that day that we say yes to Jesus wholeheartedly, all in, once and for all? I like to keep simple reminders in my life and I've got my car keys. I use these often. Every day I'm going someplace. Can I suggest that possibly every time this coming week and until this becomes a routine in your life that you pick up your car keys and start your car that you hold them up to heaven and say, Jesus, I'm giving you the keys of my heart, the keys of my life, the keys of my future, the plans that you have for me. Please take direction over my life today and then set them back down. Maybe you're a believer, or maybe for most of your life, 
but have never taken these three steps. And you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you in a way that you maybe never heard him speak before. My encouragement is to act on that today. Carve out some time to this very day to respond to the call you're hearing from Jesus through his word today. Maybe for some you've been down the road of following Jesus for a very long, long time but drifted just a little bit off from where you once were. Now would be a great day to restore your wholehearted, all-in service to the King of Kings, to put him back in the driver's seat of your life. Will you pray with me? Precious Father, Lord Jesus, your words are challenging to us. They change us. But when we walk in the light of your word and when we respond to you, you respond to us. God, I pray that we will be ones who can say to you, Lord, I give you everything I am. I give to you everything I have. All of me, all of what I am is yours. Take control Guide me and direct me. Give me the power to overcome the things I cannot change about myself and hinder me. And be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. our time in worship this morning, receive this benediction. May the Father God who poured out his Holy Spirit upon that first band of believers come upon each and every one of you, filling you to the brim with his holy power, baptizing you afresh in the fire of the Holy Spirit, and empowering you to live into and to live out that life for which you have been created and put on this earth for such a time as this. Receive this blessing now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.